Peace, blessings, and progressions, and welcome to our fifth episode of the Black Man's Plan podcast. As you all know, it is Black History Month, and we are taking an intentional opportunity to be able to contribute to the future of our people. Uh, there's no greater way to look forward than to look back throughout history. The institutions that have been able to hold up our community have been the Black Church. Today, our special guest representing the faith of Islam is Roosevelt's very own brother Ujima Jam. This brother is a multi-hyphenate. He can do almost anything. A poet, a writer, a speaker, a teacher, a leader. We are so grateful for having him on today. And uh, without further ado, I'd like to introduce Brother John. And how are you today? How is everybody? Good, good, good. I hope everybody's holding up in the midst of this weather and, of course, the uh, pandemic. But I know we as a people are people who strive through so much. Mm. throughout history and and has contributed so much to history that uh, this is just another episode in the everlasting <laughs> history of the black man. And for those who don't know, Brother Jom is a devout Muslim who has devoted his life to really uh, contributing to a brighter community. Uh, he is from Roosevelt, Long Island. Uh, that's where I was born and bred. I'm so grateful to have had the opportunity to been uh, to have been influenced by Brother John to, to share a uh, story. The first uh, introduction, I'm sure you remember, I had to uh, Brother John was when the Future Rough Riders of America and H.B. Wall Street organizations we have been working to build for years now uh, invited him as an alumni of Roosevelt High School to come back and uh, speak to all of the students uh, in the senior class to give them an insight uh, to read some poetry uh, and really and really inspire, right? Uh, because that's our goal. So Brother John, uh, foundationally, because today's episode is solely focused on uh, uh, religion in the Black community and how as a fixture it has upheld uh, many of the uh, greatest thinkers, the greatest minds really nurtured us. Uh, we could not have this episode without mentioning Islam. And uh, I would love to first have you give us a little bit of a foundation of the religion and the values. Oh, okay. Well, that's not very difficult. Islam actually is, uh, according to what we learned, is the uh, same religion that has been revealed to all of the prophets we believe in. Um, all the prophets from Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, um, Jesus, all the way to Muhammad. And uh, we believe that the in the same way that there's only one unseen God, creator of the universe, we believe that uh, all the prophets have uh, received the same basic message, that uh, you should establish prayer as a means of uh, communicating with that one God and, and charity. Um, as well as fasting and coming together as one in one place. And uh, we see examples of this throughout the history of the world when we talk about the various different prophets. Every people have received a messenger guiding them to, toward that one God. And throughout history, of course, 
as man has has carried on, they moved away from that guidance. And uh, you know, Islam is just a call back to that um, submission to the will of the one and only God. Mm, my my my, I cannot have put it any better. Uh, again, this is the reason why we had Brother John come in today. I believe you were a former imam, am I right? Or a, a spiritual counselor uh, for Nassau County, right? Uh, yes, as a matter of fact, I worked in the Nassau County uh, Correctional Center, among other uh, facilities, but I worked there for a period of about 20 years. And, and um, together with the current imam um, of the Hempstead community, Imam Dawood Ramadan, who's also from Roosevelt. And, um, and you know, I did, did a lot of counseling with people, whether they were Muslim or not, you know, and um, it's very important. And one of the most important key things I did, which I think ex expands beyond religion, and that is I taught values and principles. And I said, I, and I uh, would make make it known to them that I don't care what you came in here for and I don't care how you came in here but one thing that I demand of everyone is that you leave out of here man mm. that is the most important thing mm. my 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 <laughs> my 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 uh, you just meant something, mentioned something that is so uh, important and that is religion in the correction institution and its influence on the black man. Uh, as we know, uh, there is a school to prison pipeline, right? Uh, but usually the pipe has to end up somewhere. And uh, usually, not usually, but throughout history, we have been able to uh, uh, reverse the flow and push brothers back through that pipeline to the institution that has kept us here. And that is the black man and black woman's religion. Uh, so, brother, uh, brother uh, John, please just tell us a little bit about that experience working in the corrections institution with black and brown brothers, and uh, tell us a little bit about some of uh, uh, their stories and and uh, and how that has influenced you and where you are. Uh, I know we all know of the most famously known experience of a brother being influenced by religion, and particularly the religion of Islam, and that is the most famously known brother Al-Haj Malik Al-Shabazz, or he's also known as Malcolm X. Uh, so brother brother John, please tell us a little bit about that experience working in the corrections institution and, and bringing that religious foundation. Uh, well, one of, the, um, one of the most cherished stories that I have in terms of uh, my working in the correctional facility and institutions um, is similar to what happened with El Hajjali Shabazz, you just mentioned Malcolm X. Mm. As you know, um, he was told by his guidance counselor that he he could never be anything, you know, more than you know a, a lonely position. He had great aspirations for himself. Wanted to be and, a lawyer, uh, right? I'm, I'm, I'm. Right, he wanted to, he wanted to be attorney, and uh, but he was told, hey, you might as well drive, you know, a garbage truck or something, you know, a lonely event of that manner. Mm. And for us, we're not properly prepared in the school system. You mentioned the school to prison pipeline. We're not given the same opportunities mm. and the same incentive mm. as uh, many in the larger society are given. Mm. And for some 
of us and for many of us, this is a golden opportunity uh, to 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 really not only reflect on our lives, but to move, forge ahead yeah. in, a, in a more positive direction. Uh, when you mentioned Hajjim Ali Shabazz Malcolm X, we know that he emerged himself. He took advantage of the opportunity and he read and memorized the mm. entire dictionary from beginning to end. Mm. Now, I can think of two in, 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 uh, examples. One in particular, uh, a young man who could not could not read. Mm. And I remember um, bec- as I started to work with him, I actually taught him how to read. Well, and uh, <laughs> that that was phenomenal for me. As well as another situation where I was, I had, uh, I was introduced to a young man who I had read about in the papers, this and the other, and um, and you know when I was in the, that particular dorm where he was at, and I was introduced to him personally, um, I gave him a book to read, mm. and um, after conversing with him, and when I came back the next day. Much to my surprise, he had completely read the book from cover to cover. And I said, no, you couldn't have read the book, you know. Hmm. And then when he started to tell me about it, he gave in full detail the contents of the book. Hmm. So I said, well, okay, this is a fluke. He did something, whatever. And I did this repeatedly with him for about three times. Hmm. And each time, it had the same exact result. So this is um, a perfect opportunity for a person to reinvent themselves yeah. and to develop um, a, a more well-rounded personality and insight into themselves. Yeah. And it's, it is very uh, significant, as a matter of fact, when it comes to, um, we're talking about Islam, because the very first word that was revealed of the Quran was read. Mm. My, my, my. And I once, re- and- I once read in, in, in a book called Muslims in African History, how that one word, as Islam spread throughout the continent, revolutionized the whole continent. Mm, the world. The world. Exactly. <laughs> I tell you, people have tried to hide things from us by putting them in books. But I tell you, now is the time for that to end. We do need to read. And I think that that is a key uh, 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 tone for today. Read, right? Uh, whether it be the Bible or uh, uh uh, or, or any other religious text that you want uh, to, to, to read, the Quran or any religious text, any book that's out there, the wealth of resources available, just read, just do it. Um, I think that it is so important to uh, recognize that uh, even if you're not where you want to be, you could very easily get there. To mention the brother that uh, wasn't able to read when Brother Ujima started working with him uh, in the correction system, but then learned how to read, made it happen through work and application. Uh, we as a people have what I uh, uh, like to refer to as a genius level capacity, right? Uh, the way we <laughs> the way we weave braids in a geometrical pattern or <laughs> the way we use, our knowledge of chemistry to heal our bodies from the kitchen, or <laughs> there's so many things. The way we play sports, that's a calculation. 
That's a calculation. That's calculus. You have to understand the angles of geometry, how to move, when to move, what time to move, how long before you make your next move. Why do you think uh, uh, most of the professional athletes are uh, our brothers and sisters? Uh, because of that genius level capacity that I mentioned. Uh, and it's it's that same genius level capacity that has inspired so many to pursue uh, a career in sports, to exercise that in a, in a more physical form. Uh, but we find ourselves solely or uh, 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 singularly focused, right? And uh, we get caught up and end up in places like the correction system. Uh, a brother who could have had a future playing in the NFL, the NBA, or or a doctor or a lawyer because of that same genius level capacity has then uh, been in turn put into a system that has been created to dismantle his way of thought, his mind, his his dreams, right? His or her dreams, right? Because there are wrongfully incarcerated brothers and sisters of all ages throughout this nation. And I think that it is important that we start to understand that uh, many people, people, right? People is what we need to understand. But many people who find themselves in these circumstances uh, really, really should not be there. Uh, uh, there, of course, are many people who have committed uh, atroc uh, atrocities that uh, uh, can't be forgiven without doing your time. But there are people in prison, in the correction system, who are there for reasons uh, that really they should not be. Uh, they were put in a circumstance uh, by the systemic nature of this nation, right? Put in a circumstance to have to rely on that singular focus, right? Outside of the black community, not many people have to singularly focus on becoming a professional basketball player, but instead they play basketball as their student, right? That's why they call us student athletes. You play a sport but you're a student. But in the black community, we have been forced and flashed with the money of these professional athletes. And uh, it has influenced the way that we go about achieving success. But I tell you, take that same energy that you bring to the football field. Take that same effort that you bring to the basketball court. Take that same passion that you bring to the tennis court and apply it to business. Apply it to medicine. Apply it to knowledge. Be a school of life. Uh, in and of itself. I I want to continue this conversation with Brother John about religion and its importance uh, on the black man. We've talked about uh, uh, the correction system. This will not be our last conversation about it. I'm sure our next two guests will have the opportunity to be able to elaborate on their uh, position on uh, the correction system and the black man and religion and their particular religion and how it has influenced uh, but before I do go on, is there any other thing that you'd like to share about uh, black men and women wrongfully incarcerated uh, and the conditions they've been put in? Well, what I can say is that um, you know, it's very important for them to have communication mm. with the outside world and to know that their life is not defined by their circumstances. And this is something we should take out of our experience of slavery. If we go through the years of slavery and see how many great men and women came came out of that experience, we can see that their lives were not shaped by their experience. 
that they were in. The people that went through the, the period of discrimination and Jim Crow and, 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 and the other atrocities that have taken place, the period of lynching, whatever, but they were not defined by their circumstances, they look beyond their circumstances. And again, yeah. this is one of the things that is so important about religion because it it gives you the opportunity and the perspective to look beyond your particular circumstances and to look for something greater. As Kota Kente, who was a Muslim mm. and, 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 and a real person out of our African experience, said to each and every child that came out of his family lineage, behold, there's something greater. Than yourself. Mm. My my my, <laughs> and and even even that my 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 stems from a, a saying commonly used by a brother from the community that we both stem from. It is important. It is important to remember. It is important to imply the knowledge and the wisdom of those that have come before us, those that we are still blessed to have with us, like Brother John and all of the other brothers and sisters across this nation that have done the work simply that have done the work not that nine to five but the work hmm, you're gonna hear a little bit more about that later but for right now we're gonna continue the conversation about religion in the black man uh and black woman really it is important that we understand that when i speak of the black man i am the black man you are the black man we are the black man. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. In the Declaration of Independence, when they say man, that's what they meant at the time. When I say man, I mean, man, we got to get together. <laughs> <laughs> so, brothers and sisters, uh, uh, let's continue this conversation with Brother John. Uh, again, I am so grateful for you taking the time out to have this conversation with me. Again, this isn't the first time that I've called on Brother John, and each and every time I have, he has made the intentional effort to give me his time. And that is the greatest gift because no matter how much money or any other thing that you have, time will be the one thing that always runs out. Um, Brother John, religion, are there any other key uh, 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 tokens of wisdom in regards to uh, not only uh, uh, Islam, but religion itself, or are there any other tokens that that you would like to share before we move on to the next segment? Oh, absolutely. Another question. One of the greatest things that, um, that I convey to people, and I, it doesn't matter what particular religious background that they have, is that um, we live in the world of today. Mm. And anything that you study Anything that you concentrate your time on must be relevant to the situation of today. Mm. If you, for example, are a Jew and your highlight is about Moses, then look at it as a people who, who he was a, a man who was among the people that was oppressed. Mm. And he became the liberator for that people and took them to uh, a promised land, a different place where they can have a better life and, of course, focus on the the creator and his help and assistance in getting him to that better life. Mm. If you are of a Christian background, know that Jesus dealt with three types of people amongst the Jews. Mm -hmm. he, he dealt with 
the Pharisees, who were the ruling people, they were the lawyers, they were the doctors, or and and they were what we today would call the enforcers of the law, or what we call policemen. However, un, unfortunately, though they would um, punish people for the law, they would consider themselves above the law, much like the people we have today. Hmm. Then you had the Essenes, and the Essenes, or the Essenes, uh, were the down-to-earth people, the people who went away from the society and the hypocrisy they saw in the in the general cities so that they could practice with sincerity and devote themselves in, in, in all honesty and earnestly to their mission. Mm. And then thirdly, you had the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were the people who went whichever which way the wind Blue. So whenever it was popular, if the Essenes were popular, they were down with them. The Pharisees were down were popular, they were down with them. And so what we have to do is not just see Jesus' story, if you're a Christian or, or somebody that's studying that, not as some ancient historical or religious uh text, but as something that is relevant to the people around you today. Because do not we have people in authority who um, who enforce the law, but consider themselves above the law? Mm. Do we not have people who are sincere and down to earth, but realize they have to get away from the negative influences around them, the negative people around them, in order to be able to move in a positive and uplifting direction? Mm. And do we not also have a people who go whichever way the wind blows, <laughs> whatever's popular, Oh. And we have to be able to just dissect that in them so that we are not sucked in to having faith and trusting those kinds of people. Mm. And, and that, lastly, what'd you say? And lastly, no, please, please. And lastly, as a Muslim, I just want to give, and there's so many examples in this land, so many examples from the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, to his companions, because it was a communal thing. But let me just give you one example of that, since it is Black History Month, of uh, a group of people that today we call the Moors, okay, who inspired by the Quran, did this in 711 of the Christian era. And it's very easy to remember that date, 711, <laughs> <laughs> for obvious reasons. Yes, sir. These African Muslims, recorded by history of the Moors, established an Islamic empire in Spain, Portugal, Sicily, and the southern part of France. Mm. That was the last until 1492. Again, another date that was very easy to remember, 1492, 7-11. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> now, the Moors laid down the foundation of civilization in Europe. They established the silk industry in Spain, inspired the Renaissance, prevented the Greek classics from being lost in history. One second, one second. My alarm. Please, please, uh, if you mind, go back, going back uh, to the last two notes you mentioned. I'll just edit that out. That was too, okay. too key to miss. Okay, I'll start again. In 711 of the Christian era, the African Muslims, recorded by history as the Moors, established an Islamic empire in Spain, Portugal, Sicily, and the southern part of France. That was to last until 1492. Two easy dates to remember. 711, 1492. Now, the Moors laid the foundation of civilization in Europe, established the silk industry in Spain, inspired the Renaissance, 
prevented the Greek classics from being lost in history by translating them into Arabic, made countless advancements in mathematics and science, including algebra and trigonometry, animal care, hydraulic engineering. They introduced bathing. Mm. Yes, you heard me right. Come on. They introduced bathing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, sir. There's nothing wrong with your radio or TV or computer. (laughs) Yes, sir. Streetlights and paved streets in Europe and established over 17 universities and over 70 libraries at a time when Christian Europe was 99% illiterate. Mm. So this is what you can do when you're inspired positively by the guidance coming from the creator, Mm. who, again, the first word of the Quran that was revealed was what? Read. Read. <laughs> ah, my, my, my. Brother, brother John, and, and as we transition, I'm so thankful. I just want to express my thanks again on a, on a more serious note. Thank you. Uh, uh, as a black man, thank you. Uh, as a community, we thank you. Uh, and, and that's a little bit what I would like to talk about uh, next. Uh, because when we're building, we must understand that religion is a foundation, right? Religion is a foundation that we can put a brick on, a good brick, lay the best brick that we possibly can. But religion is that sturdy foundation that ensures that we last throughout time. Okay, Uh, uh, people, we need to understand this. Uh, You are more than what you do. You're you. Uh, So religion can influence the actions that you make, the way that you think. But how, Brother Ujima, how can religion translate into everyday life in a uh, uh, 2021 world, in a literal sense? How can we use the values of Islam to live a better life today? Because uh, for many who don't know, uh, we did mention, uh, I'm sorry to, to, to cut you off before you got started, but, <laughs> but I just definitely wanted to mention uh, Brother Al-Hajj Malik Al-Shabazz and his departure for the Nation of Islam in founding the United, uh, uh, the UNIA, really, uh, the United Negroes, the UNIA. No, 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 that was Marcus Garvey, bro. No, uh, uh, no, excuse me. Yes, yes, it was the um, the uh, OAAU. Ha! My, 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 my middle name is Garvey by my birth given name. So sometimes uh, uh, that tone is is so close to my soul that that's the first thing that comes to mind. But the OAAU, the Organization for Afro-American Unity, founded and inspired originally uh, by the Organization of African Unity, uh, founded across that Atlantic Sea. But here it was founded by Brother Al-Hajj Malik El-Sabaz, OAAU. And we are uh, first understanding that we all make mistakes <laughs> and secondly, <laughs> grateful uh, for the influence of Brother Shabazz and, and, and what he did. He said uh, that Anyone can join the OAAU, Muslims, Christians, non-religious people, but take the best values of what you do and bring it here. Uh, Brother John, that is the uh, segue into uh, every great thing next that I'm sure you will say. But I just wanted to make sure we put that in there, because once I start listening, that's all I can do. (laughs) Oh, and you said it so well. You know, actually, um, technically, he first formed the Muslim Mosque Incorporated. Mm-hmm. Okay, and um, because he didn't see a difference in people, uh, but of course, in, in his traveling, 
um, so rapidly over that last period of his life and coming back and finding, um, you know, separation between people. Uh, this is what caused him to say, let's put our religion in the closet and, and establish, like, a, like, as you mentioned, the organization of African-American unity. Mm. But he saw his, his, his role as twofold. He saw his role as he traveled internationally, both in Europe and Africa, as well as the Muslim world, in addition to this continent, um, that he had to establish among those people who, um, who had a religious and spiritual base, okay, the uh, importance of being active in the community and standing out up against oppression and injustice. This was what he emphasized as he went to the people in, let's say, the Arab world and so forth and so on. Now, amongst our people, since we were inclined to stand up against injustice already, then his he saw his role with us as to make sure our spiritual program was exact and intact. And so this is where we want to go in terms of uh, remembering him and mm. his dual mission. Now, in terms of Islam, uh, I want to share with you the meaning of a word. As a matter of fact, uh, in Islam, we learned that the Creator has some 99 names. Okay, mm. all of which are uh, meaning most gracious, most merciful, the all knowing, the all seeing, the all hearing, you know, the the, the most high, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Okay, but of all the names that he likes to be called, and of course, when we say the word Allah, that's inclusive of all those names. Okay, as mm. opposed to the particular characteristic that I, I, that are found in the ninety-nine, um, the one he likes the most for a person to call him. It's the word rabbi, mm. and that's spelled R-A-B-B-I, not rabbi, which comes from it, but rabbi, and that means the Lord, the cherisher, the sustainer, the nourisher, the one who nourishes and sustains his creation in such a way so as to provide them with the things that they need to grow and to develop on their own. Mm. Now, I know that's a mouthful, so let me say that again. Come on. Come on, brother. <laughs> okay. Make it plain Rubby. for the people. Rubby, the Lord, the cherisher, the sustainer, the one who nourishes and sustains his creation in such a way so as to provide them with the things that they need to grow and to develop on their own. Mm. Why does he love that name most? Because as the group Creative Source said in their most popular song, it explains not only who he is, but what he is to you. <laughs> mm. And by understanding that he is our Rabbi, our, our, our Lord, cherisher, and sustainer, and that that he helps to provide us the things we need to grow and develop on our own, it tells us that we are not complete unless we grow and develop. Mm. My, my, my. And that is a <laughs> wonderful tone. Uh, for the completion uh, of this episode in uh, in religion and the influence on the black and black man and black woman, but before we finish, we have such a shared uh, history and journey that I would like to mention uh, that Brother Eugene and I are uh, uh, constant sharers of in information and and of knowledge, really, uh, and of wisdom. So, Brother Eugene sent me an article recently that was published. I believe was it the the fifties. No, it was, it was published in 1968. 1968, the article was published. 
uh, and it was uh, entitled, uh, uh, to be exact. Ma matter of fact, brother, I'd like you to give the, the people the title. <laughs> okay, the title of the article was called The Making of a Black Ghetto. And before we go in... Harvey, oh, and Harvey Harrison. Harvey Anderson. And before Harrison. 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 Okay. And before we go into that, I'd just like to read one quote uh, from this article, and I'd like you to elaborate a little bit on uh, this article, what Roosevelt is, uh, uh, and the truth that is uh, 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 more often times than not evaded from the people. Uh, and the quote goes, Roosevelt is a microcosm of faltering communication and of the gaps that are splitting races, classes, and generations in our time and our country. And it is so sad, now that I'm looking back, that is the completion of the quote, of course, uh, uh, that in 1968, which for many brothers and sisters that are 20 uh, uh, to 23, like myself, uh, even younger or older, that seems almost like a distant history that we couldn't even possibly fathom. Growing up in Roosevelt, we are a, now a, a very mixed community with multiple races that have learned to grow together. Uh, we rely heavily on not only the Afro-Latina uh, uh, community, but also uh, the the members of the community that are uh, stemming from El Salvador and Honduras, we are thankful for uh, the the diversity that we are surrounded by and uh, for the communication that it brings forth. Uh, I'm trying to learn some Spanish in order to be able to communicate a little bit better <laughs> in our new in our new age of the community. But for so many years after this uh, uh, article was written, Roosevelt had become that black community. Uh, so, Brother John, please speak a little bit about this article and also about the community of Roosevelt. Well, let me say this first of all. All right. At the time that Roosevelt, the article, The Making of Black Ghetto, was was uh, was written and printed in Newsday, Roosevelt was far from being a black ghetto. Mm. As a matter of fact, the stories of the black citizens of Roosevelt is so breathtaking and so inspirational that every time I turn around, I'm learning more and more about the phenomenal impact that these people had. Like for example, when I moved to Roosevelt, okay, there were at least four people who had built their own houses mm. right around, around the corner from me. There were doctors, one of whose uh, um, house appeared in Ebony Magazine. The, the guy across the street from me, unbeknownst to me, was a hero from mm. World War II, of which two movies were made. One's called Proud and one uh, uh, Proudly We Served. And um, they were, uh, he was, and his crew was to the Navy, what the Red Tails or the Tuskegee Airmen were to those branches of service. Hmm. Um, the When you look at, Roosevelt was an abandoned community, largely due to this article hmm. and the assassination of Malcolm X and the development of Black Pride and the influence of people from other communities. Okay? But when we look at what came out of Roosevelt prior to the input of black people mm. and what came out because in that same date if, he, if, if I were writing an article 
or someone from the community was writing the article, they would speak about all the wealth of black businesses that existed in the Roosevelt community. For example, you had Mr. McKnight, and you had Covington, and you had Choice, and you had the uh, um, you had you had so many businesses. They even had a place called the Sportsman Thirty, which was a club not only in Bowman Turnpike and Roosevelt, but upstate New York, with thirty black businessmen from the Roosevelt Freeport area mm. that were collectively working and, 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 and producing the community. There is so much um, that uh, was generated. I mean, you, you, you think about one thing that Chuck D said at one time. He made a statement that when you look at the 70s, in the beginning of the 70s, the number one basketball player in the NBA was Julius Serving, mm. Dr. J. And he was from where? He was from Roosevelt. Yes, sir. <laughs> okay. Yes, okay. Sir. Then, as we move ahead, the number one comedian <laughs> was Eddie Murphy. Mm-hmm. And he was from where? Roosevelt. Roosevelt. And for those of <laughs> okay. you who don't know, Mr. John was Eddie Murphy's first manager. We ain't, we ain't going to get too deep into that. <laughs> I, I, want, <laughs> I want Brother okay. John to please continue. Okay. I'm sorry for cutting you off. Uh, but no, I just, I knew not he was he was too humble to have shared that. <laughs> I had to uh, drop that gem for the people. Please. Okay. And then um, as we moved out, the number one rap group yes. was Public Enemy. Public Enemy. And Public Enemy was from where? Roosevelt. Roosevelt. Right. And I'd like to give right. a shout out uh, to the microphone fiend, the Drew of Public <laughs> Enemy, uh, Roosevelt's very own. Uh, one of our many entrepreneurs, I'm so grateful for him as a client uh, uh, of HB Wall Street, uh, one of my many ventures. We're so grateful for his influence and, and for growing his business. Uh, please continue, Brother brother John. Public Enemy, uh, the rap group that transformed the way that we as a people moved, right? Because uh, throughout history, it's been said that when the music changes, the people change. When we started with the blues, <laughs> we were reflecting the times. Nina, Nina Simone said that an artist's greatest duty is to reflect the times in which we live. So when we when we transitioned from the blues to the, to the soul and then to the, uh, 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 the rock and, and rap that we uh, no, now we we have to understand who made that happen. And Public Enemy was a pivotal part of that. I think they're, I not think, I know that they are members of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So please, Brother, Absolutely. brother John. Okay. And I would be remiss if I didn't go back a little bit. Mm-hmm, please and do. Uh, to a gentleman by the name of John Mackey. Mm. And John Mackey was also a very famous uh, and significant a person in the NFL. Yes, yes. And um, he came out of Brooklyn, as you know. Yes, and I'm and so I'm so thankful that you mentioned him because we're going to be having Reverend Arthur A. L. Mackey as our next guest, uh, uh, our next double guest, I guess you could say, uh, with Richard Honeywell, pastor of City of Freedom Baptist Church. Reverend Arthur A. L. Mackey Jr. is the pastor of Mount Sinai Baptist Church, where I have been a lifetime member uh, since diapers. And a wonderful, uh, uh, he is a wonderful leader, shepherd to the flock, and we are so grateful for having him. Uh, uh, Brother John, please uh, uh, continue. I, I just wanted to uh, give the people uh, a little bit of understanding that even though John Mackey was mentioned, we will be going in depth about one of our very first greatest 
football players. The only reason why he didn't go to Roosevelt High is because there was no Roosevelt High at that time. They were still making the black ghetto. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to mention two things that he was responsible for that a lot of people don't know. Mm. And that was because of his success and the fact that he was he attended Hempstead High, numerous articles attributed him as being John Mackey from Hempstead. Mm. And because of that, Roosevelt Junior Senior High School was built. Mm. My, my, my. Now, the second one, <laughs> the second fact that um, a lot of people don't know, and I just recently found this out, was that um, when he moved to California, he was a neighbor of a, a gentleman by the name of Jim Brown, who was also from Long Island, and a famous football player and actor, okay? Mm-hmm. And one day, he happened to hear this group. And he said, this group is phenomenal. And he ran to Jim Brown and said, listen, you got to check out this group. And Jim Brown heard this group. And he said, okay, I'm going to manage this group. And the rest is history. The name of the group? Earth, Wind, and Fire. My, my, my. Ha! Do you remember? Do you remember? (laughs) And that's why we bring uh, the elders for this insight. Please continue. Now, something else I discovered in this last year, because history is a continuing process. There's a young lady that lived on Brookside Avenue by the name of Prathia Hall Wynn. Mm. And I knew her very well, as well as her husband, okay, and neighbors. And I recently discovered that she was the person who inspired Dr. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Mm. to give his I Have a Dream speech. And from this one square mile, please tell us a little bit about that. that, From that one square mile uh, and how it, come on, go ahead, brother. Please, please tell the people. Uh, Okay. Well, in September 1962, Preacher Holwin agreed to participate in a service commemorating the Mount Olive Baptist Church in Terrell County, which had been burned to the ground by the Ku Klux Klan. It had been a center for voter registration and for other mass meetings in the county among African-Americans. And the service was attended by Martin Luther King Jr. and the SCLC's strategist, James Bevel. Mm. Now, she was scheduled to deliver a prayer during the service. And according to Bevel, as she prayed, she spontaneously uttered and rhythmically repeated an inspiring phrase that captured her vision for the future. I have a dream. Mm. My, my, my. So... Youth, youth listening, please understand that there is always someone who sees you, right? I know that right now during this coronavirus, being stripped from school, being stripped from life as you knew it for the duration of your life has turned things upside down. But I need you to adapt. I need you to do the work like Brother John, like all the other great brothers and sisters that we are so grateful to have. Uh, uh, Brother John, I'm so sorry. Uh, that we have to bring this conversation to the clo- to a close. Uh, but for those of you who don't know, we do have some wonderful things in the work for Black History Month. And this will not be the last you hear of Brother John. So please be on the lookout because we got to leave him wanting more. Right, brother? There you go, brother. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much again for being a guest of the fifth episode of the Black Man's Plan podcast. Be blessed, brother. Be peace. Be love. 
Okay.